Welcome to Rants About Humanity, a podcast where we interview guest experts with passionate opinions about important topics that don't get enough attention. Raw, unfiltered, thought-provoking perspectives with no censorship. With your host, Philip Van Houta. Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to the Rants About Humanity podcast. Today I have Kevin Crenshaw as a guest. After surviving a few near-death experiences, a few, whoa, not even one, and overcoming addiction, codependency, and anxiety, Kevin has dedicated his life to sharing how he did it and the wisdom he learned in the process. On a mission to end trauma and assist human evolution, Kevin utilizes coaching, art, visionary leadership, and nonprofit work to fuel his vision of positively impacting the trajectory of the human race. His bold, tough love strategy combined with trauma-informed, unique practical guidance has helped tens of thousands of people from all over the world break toxic cycles, heal emotional and relational traumas, and live with more self-love, healthy relationships, and inner fulfillment. Thanks so much for featuring on the podcast. And how have you been able to be such a rascal that you have several near-death experiences? (laughs) I'm just a rascal, man. That's what's up there. Yeah. I've been suicidal multiple times in my life. I almost had an overdose, uh, a near overdose in, um, I guess it was 2019. So that was also another one that happened. And I've, I've just had my brush up with death. And that wakes you up, man. For anybody you know, tuning in that's uh, had a loved one pass or you've had a near death experience where there's an accident or some, something, there's a certain wisdom that comes with that. I think perspective on life, you actually get a grip that this all ends. It's not forever. and it's been a big blessing in my life, but it took me going through those dark places multiple times for me to finally wake up. And that's part of the work that I do is helping people that are in those spaces. So it's in a way, it's been a blessing because I know how to help people because I understand where their psyche's at. I understand the pain because I've walked it myself. And so I also know and understand how to get out and that whole, what that process feels like, looks like X, Y, Z. Yeah, at the moment, it feels like a curse, but then afterwards, it become like a blessing. But if you could like time travel back then, what was your way of thinking or what was your mindset back then that you really had to go down the underworld and hit rock bottom? Which one do you want to cover? Because we got stories on each one of these things. I guess the first... Give me stories, man. Yeah, my um, ex-fiance cheated on me, dumped me. I had a loaded pistol in my mouth that night, almost took my life. So I was extremely codependent and didn't know it, didn't even know what that was. And I was living my life through you know, her and she was like my everything. And I think that's romanticized through whether it's TV or, or you know, culture. I didn't have any sense of identity. So when that was taken, it really rocked me. And uh, it took me a while to find myself in that. But yeah, I just, I mean, I didn't even know how I stopped it. It was just in the moment I was like, what the fuck am I doing? I just knew something wasn't right about that. And I just kept on keeping on, you know, living life. I've also been like a homeless sleeping out of my car before. And so that was very humbling and taught me a lot about myself and culture and life. And again, going to those dark places, I realized it was number one, I was very self-absorbed. I was, I was stuck in my own darkness, trying to figure it all out. And I wasn't, I mean, it looked like I was, trying to get out of it. Um, but it was what actually got me out of it was getting the fuck over myself and helping people and connecting with people and stop wearing my 
pains as a medal of honor. I know Alan Watts talked about it. Like, who is that self that can help you get over yourself? Yeah. And that's the, you could say the higher self, that's the you self. Really, it's the self that's in the now. One thing that I realized was I was so, when I was codependent, when I was, you know, sleeping out of my car and all these things, I was so in a fantasy world. There was a lot of darkness, but I was not present. I was in my mind, always thinking about the future and the big vision and all the things that I wanted to do. And then I was wrapped up in these emotions of shame and guilt and loud inner critic and all these things. And now since being trauma-informed, um, understanding that I, I, it's what's called metapsychology. It's your thoughts start thinking about themselves. And then you use psychology to come in and try to shift your mind and psychology mm -hmm. And it just furthers the thing when shame and the loops that are happening biochemically in your body are still going on. So yeah, you might get a dopamine hit because you feel better for a moment because you add an aha moment, but you're making a lateral move and a lateral shift. It looks like change and it is change, but in your body, there is no real sense of change. You're just masking the thing with different. For example, I stopped um, beating myself up and living on the streets I then beat myself up in the gym every day and it looked healthier. It looked like I had drive, right? But it was still the same essence. The same emotion was at play. I really, I wasn't free. I didn't free myself. That's the proving in self-improvement, right? I once talked about it, like treating my body like a slave. Like you were saying earlier, who's the self that's going to free me from myself? It was getting present. It was dropping the stories and the mind chatter and even the thinking about my situation. <laughs> And it, it was dropping into my senses and being right here, right now, and feeling what I was avoiding to feeling, which was a lot of anger and a lot of sadness. And it took some time. And, and it was with the right support that I was able to be able to actually process that stuff. And that's what shifted things for me. And also paying attention to the systems in my body and not just my body in terms of what it looks like or juice cleanses and other things. I also resonate with what you do because, you know, I still have these shadow aspects of myself in terms of maybe you can explain a bit what codependency is. I feel myself okay. I have a bit more enmeshment kind of patterns mm -hmm. there. But what you said before about my sense of identity is very dependent on what I do, aka perfectionist, workaholics definitely have that tendency or getting love and validation from a partner. And I noticed that became such a essential energetic triggering part that as if that's not okay you almost get like in an anxious state i have to take care of this you know like that becomes the priority and all the other things in life turns into chaos unless that relationship and unless that energetic bond is like being healed but that's so draining and also not very attractive for a partner to be in a relationship who has that kind of pattern no it's very you're not free. And when I, that's what I'm going for is what attachments do I have or what is controlling me? In my opinion, attachments are poison to the soul. And so whether it's an attachment to my identity as a, a certain way of being, like you were saying, like what you're doing or who you love or, or your, like all of those things, I realized and then kind of going through the personal development realm and for 10 years that I was going from an I am statement of something that I didn't want to an I am statement of something that I did want. Seems healthy, right? And then let's say, for example, because I was the shy nerd kid growing up, so I didn't have any 
confidence. So I would go from uh, that to I am confident. And then I tried to embody confidence. And I would do all the affirmations that would encant it. I would do all the things to embody confidence. Now, it looked like from the outside that I was making moves in that direction. I was teaching group fitness classes two, three times a day. I was starting my own fitness business and all these other things. Um, I was walking the talk, so to speak. But there were moments, because I'm human, of insecurity. And I wouldn't allow myself to face it. And that's the darkness coming in, right? You're not facing it. That's why it's called your darkness or your shadow. Uh, it's not in the light. And so I was creating shadows because I was trying to get this positive. And the split of saying that an emotion is good or bad is inherently a part of the big divide that's happening. Emotions just are. And so I was, by trying to be confident, I was not allowing myself to look at my insecurities and the confidence that I was embodying or showing to the world was not even grounded. It was, it was, it was very, it was fake. I was putting on a show and I was really fucking good at it, but internally I didn't really have that confidence. And so it wasn't until I faced those insecurities, allowed myself to feel insecure at the same time to sit with it, to go, okay, cool. I'm feeling insecure in this moment. That's interesting. I'm not going to try to change it. I'm not going to shift my state. I'm not going to, I'm just going to be here with this insecurity. What does it have to teach me about myself? And in that, ironically, you get more confident because you've actually played your demons and you've looked at the shadow and you've integrated the shadow and there's nothing to run from and nothing to hide. And when there's nothing to run from and nothing to hide, you, I mean, those are the most confident people in the room. You know that scene in the dark night where he's like he has his broken back and he's like in the pit and he has to like heal and he has to climb towards the yeah. light. Why do so many people have to break their back and sit in a pit and hit rock bottom before they finally change a pattern that probably inside they feel this is not serving me and this is negative? Because most people are asleep and this is coming from like a more spiritual or esoteric slash mystic perspective. Most people are asleep. And what that means is they're programmed through conditionings of shame from the government and school, from parents and all these things. And they're believing beliefs that aren't even theirs. And we're not really taught to think for ourselves. And so you're running a life that you think is you when you, you think you're the one that is in control when really you're not. And it, it takes the beating down into the pit breaking your back and doing all the crazy stuff for you to wake up. You have to suffer enough in order to realize that you're the one who's creating it. Maybe somebody doesn't have to go through that. And maybe somebody does. I don't know. And I haven't done as much study on that. And I do know from patterns and studying other mystics that, um, you know, there's a quote by Rumi, you have to break your heart enough before it opens. You have to break your heart enough until it opens. And the saying on that is, you're breaking your heart. You're breaking your own heart by setting expectations. You're break, You're the one that's in that heartbreak until you realize you can't get the love that you're trying to get from somebody else. You know, and Anthony DeMello even mentioned um, in some of his work that you've got to want. I think he said freedom, but I, I've had it said love. You got to want love or freedom or peace or happiness. It's all those are all um, present moment emotions, by the way. You've got to want those things more than who or what you think is going to bring it. Not the job, not the accomplishments, not the relationship, not the whatever. And if you're attached to the how, you're getting in the way of uh, you're tripping yourself because you can bring it in the present moment now and body it now through work 
And then those things that you think we're going to bring in are just nice little perks that amplify it. Yeah, I also was in that stage where I knew a lot about what I don't want and I was blaming mm. the world to give me what I thought I deserved. But then I was so fed up. I was in that fuck it stage. I might as well, like I'm dying here, like literally or I'm mm. contemplating to die. I might as well try this because this is no life anymore. This is like yeah. wanting to shed that that of that identity and risk something new without in, without knowing where you would end up because fuck it, you might as well just do it and then just jump over that cliff and say like, fuck it, I might as well try it. I mean, that was a stage that I witnessed myself. I've been there and you know, it's it's in those moments that when I was drowning in my own shame and my own thoughts and, and those shadows where I was trying to lone wolf it and do it by myself. And as I'm studying healing more and more, I'm really coming to the, the, the conclusion and I don't, I don't think I've fully solidified it yet. So this is still a mm -hmm. theory, but that uh, healing can't happen. You cannot self heal. You cannot heal your own life. And there's so much stuff out there that says that. And I'm analyzing it mm -hmm. because there's also a contradictory statement that says healing happens in safe relationships and healing happens in community. And I'm looking at my life going, okay, I might've pulled myself out of some of that darkness, but what really pulled me out of it was after I kind of got my own for a second, I was able to grab a hold of somebody else who was offering help and somebody else and get connected and share my story and get the support. And that was how I was able to do it. It takes a tribe. So I'm just looking at my life going, you know, I didn't sit down and journal and meditate myself into a new life. I didn't. It was, it was community, it was conversations, it was meeting people, it was working with wizards, if you will, that know a lot about the trauma and healing trauma and the body. That's one of the symbolic ways that I also have like difficulty with and a lot of people that I work with who are like, let's say outcasts, people who were different, people who were not accepted for who they were, people who didn't fit in, people who were like bullied, they had to leave the familiar ground of the tribe to find themselves. And then mm -hmm. they find a gift or they focus on doing, or in, I couldn't call it the wounded warrior stage in terms of like men, right? Like fighting until they become totally. exhausted, put their sword down, they learn the fantastic skill and then they want to connect again with the village and the world. <laughs> but going back to that tribe and that village and connection of people who didn't understand you, who felt you were weird and then changing that, that, that doesn't have to be the same story. That's like confronting because you've been living that passage, that chapter for a large part of your life. Yeah. That's very true. You know, I mean, there is a disconnect that happens. You do have to kind of isolate a little bit to really get to know yourself. But then I feel integrating that happens in connections, in community, in space spaces, so you can share. I mean, there's more uh, that to it than just like, oh, sharing my story. We are actually rewriting your psyche's uh, identity or uh, story around the instance that you're shaming yourself for when you're able to share it in a space and people love you anyway it's literally an interrupt of that story you get to rewrite it in your mind but also what's happening on a nervous system perspective you're co-regulating you're the like the person with the strongest state wins is a saying right so like the person who is grounded and more loving and especially if you're around a bunch of loving people and you're the one that's anxious and you're sharing your story your nervous system is going soon enough going to crack and adapt to theirs and you're going to have uh, regulation and maybe for the first time in a while and with that regulation comes the opening 
for any suppressed repressed emotions to come out. And that's why some people, you know, when sharing their story will cry and, and other things and those tears are healing. So you're, yeah, it's kind of hitting multiple layers is what I'm There are so many layers about this that you often see interconnected, the sense of guilt, the sense of shame, the triggers, the trauma. How are these things interrelated? Like where does this trauma actually come from? So, yeah, that's a good question. A lot of people think that trauma is an event of the past, but it's not. That's my, that might be what created the trauma, but from a literal sense, trauma is stuck neuroplasticity in your body. There is a loop happening in your body and your body's trying to protect itself. That could be within the nervous system mainly, but then it could also be in your lymphatic system, your digestive system, your muscle skeletal system, lots of ways. And what a trauma is, is a breach or a rupture of a boundary. There's a broken mm-hmm. boundary. Something's not okay. You're not safe. And the nervous system replies in one of four ways. Fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't know about fawning. It's polyvagal theory. It's basically people pleasing. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, right, let me get on your side so you don't hurt me. In a Sorry. Sense, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it's all a, a very intelligent protection mechanism that your body is doing. Now, if you don't complete the cycle, if you don't have uh, regulation, you're going to live in that traumatized state. And that's where high functioning anxiety comes into play, which was me for so long and still got weeds that I'm pulling from that. Mm -hmm. And a bunch of other things, you know, like depression or stuck, it's called being stuck off in your nervous system. There's not a lot of stimulation because you're numbing yourself because everything just hurts. So let me freeze and disconnect so I don't feel anything. And so I can protect myself. It's the, it's what happens when a lizard stops or a deer stops in the headlights. Mm -hmm. They're they're like, Oh, don't see me. Then if it's like, Oh, you see me, I'm going to run. And those are all survival mechanisms. And this happens now with humans in uh, relational and in emotional settings where, you know, there's not a tiger that's going to come and kill us, but there's a broken boundary. Something's not okay. And it could be something like, uh, you know, some people hear the word trauma, they think like physical abuse and mm-hmm. sexual abuse and things. Those are definitely traumas. And also what some people don't think about when they think of traumas though, is not having your emotional needs met. And those are, those are traumas, especially to a developing infant. You know, love is a huge, is a need failure to thrive. If you want to, if y'all listening, want to Google it, failure to thrive is when an, a newborn does not get held and with affection, it will die. If it doesn't get human connection, like physical touch. Yeah, we had that experiment of a Prussian emperor who tried to test what the original language was of certain babies. And he said, like, don't touch them, you know. And then in the end, in the experiment, they never knew it because all those babies died because they were deprived of touch. Wow. I've never heard of that. But yeah. Yeah. And you even have an experiment where they have two kind of mothers, uh, uh, surrogate mothers, not real mothers for like monkeys. And one has like a, a bottle to fill them like milk and the other one has like polycloth warmed and yeah they go feed but they stay with the mother who gave them like warmed you know that touch mm-hmm. that connection is like so so important to them yeah wow. yeah so you know if we didn't get the tough the, the connection or that maybe uh, we weren't protected we lived in an unsafe environment or uncertain environment and other things that could be traumatizing for uh, an infant or even just a child right so those things now are, ex- are patterns that happened in the past. There's something of the past. And so a lot of what psychology does is tries to bring the subconscious to the mind. Mm-hmm. 
Well, there's what's called the unconscious, which is not accessible at all in a million years to your conscious mind. There's no way we can bring, make, it, make the unconscious fully conscious. I've heard conflicting theories on that, and I'm actually mm-hmm. still doing some research. So if anybody's listening, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. That, I feel, is the body and the workings of the body. It's not a part of your brain. And so when, if we want to heal trauma, some people will, again, go to the mindset, understand what was the trauma thing. Let's rewrite the story, NLP your way out of it. That can be helpful. But what's important to do is to focus on the body and release the suck neuroplasticity in your nervous system to regulate your nervous system and to change your default stress response so that when you do get triggered, you don't go into freeze mode. You don't go into fawning and people pleasing and you're not living in those states, but you're the one that's in control, oh, in control of your nervous system. You have more resiliency. So something triggers you, you notice it, but you shift back into regulation. Super simple. And what regulation is, is being present. It's being right here, right now, and fully connected to all of your senses. Is that the first thing? The first thing often is like awareness, because with awareness comes like a choice to do things differently. But let's say somebody comes aware of a trauma, of a pattern, of a trigger. What would you suggest would be the first steps to go into the journey of healing and shadow work? So somebody becomes aware of it. Could you give me an example? I do better. Yeah, I will give you an example. Like let's say that. Let's say that uh, from a guy's perspective, a guy, you know, uh, is meeting a girl and she doesn't text back or she doesn't give like a message and he starts doubting himself. He starts becoming anxious, like self-loathing, like why me? Why is she not replying? And he can't focus on any other things anymore than why is she not sending back and goes into the whole story, the negative loop in his brain. Well, he has to first become aware that that's happening Mm -hmm. and question it. Instead of getting frustrated that it's happening, get curious and go, okay, but really, why, why, why is this happening? That's the first step. Because you could just become aware of it and observe it and be a passive observer, which is cool. But then you're a still passive. You're not the one in charge of your life at that point. So you can sit here and observe all day long, but you also want to get curious to lead down the path to make some sort of change. So it's, oh, well, why is this happening? What does this say about me? And those are tough pills to swallow looking in the mirror in that way. And the truth will set you free when you're honest with yourself. You know what? I will play this role for a part because that's not present, but a part of me was like hugely present. I would be thinking like, you know, I'm such a loser. You know, I'm not good with girls. I'm never going to get a relationship. You know, why, why would such an awesome girl be with me? You know, again, it's the same old thing, you know, et cetera. Like I would be saying this to myself. And then a part of me would be there being miserable with myself and think like, <laughs> my God, Phil, what, what are you doing, man? Like you're doing awesome stuff. Like, like why is this impacting you so much? Mm-hmm. Well, now the important thing is to sit with that question and actually try to answer it. Mm. And I don't think a lot of people do. They go, why is this impacting me so much? And then move on to something else. Like what, why? But they're not sitting to listen to the answer. And the answers come in stillness. They come in silence. And so it's getting real honest with yourself and creating space to sit with the uncomfort. Because again, when you're in that space and she's not texting back and you're like, oh, what the fuck? Like I'm doing all these amazing things in the world. Why is this taking up all of my time? Like this doesn't fucking matter. That might turn into a flight or a fight response. 
So you're going to fill your time with something else to do. You'll dive into work. Ah, she doesn't matter anyway. Okay, cool. Let me yeah, what I would do is I would, I would watch porn. I would, you know, go into workaholicism, you know, like yeah. that kind of pattern to avoid being with myself. Right. So the first bit is to sit with it and go, all right, I'm not going to do anything. And I'm going to sit in this. This fucking sucks. Maybe you need to cry like a little boy and figure out, like, let that emotion out. May, and then afterwards, all the answers are going to come. Maybe you need to scream and let out some rage and fuck, like, why does this keep happening? And yeah, maybe you're angry at yourself. Express it in a healthy way. It'll all, uh, from my experience and with working with clients, usually after those cathartic emotional releases, oh, there's a lot of peace and there's a lot of answers. Yes, that's interesting because William Reich also talks about this. There was a huge part of psychology in the beginning, which was about feelings are dangerous, irrational things are dangerous. Mm. We have to push them on the ground because they can be very powerful <laughs> and overpower us. But mm. then you had this William Reich, Alexander Lowen kind of thing that they worked with mm. like the body and says like, no, 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 expressing negative emotions or what we label as negative emotions instead of pushing them down is actually liberating and will actually help you than just pushing those negative feelings below because you think if I focus on the negative, I will only get more of the negative. Exactly. Yeah. And we think that it's forever when we're in those crazy emotions. We think that it's going to, I'm scared mm -hmm. to open that box because if I do, oh my God, my whole life's going to be flipped upside down. Well, it might because you actually might change. And that's where, again, you kind of got to take back the, what do I got to want love more than who I think is going to bring it. So again, you're attached to why is she not texting me back? You're attached to the how you're attached to the person. You're like, okay, I want love. Oh my God, this person is amazing. I'm going to get it from you. <laughs> and then the second step often is, you know, because I've been through these stages and still going through these stages is like, you do it. And then you say, uh, this is not working. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because you want the result or you want it to end in a certain way or then right. be like a pill you take and then ah on to the next one yeah yeah exactly so you know I've, I've observed that healing takes time but it doesn't have to take a lot of time and it only takes time if you make the time to face it and to sit with the uncomfort stuff so actually sitting seeking the answers on those and it's it's kind of demonized, I feel, in a lot of ways to ask mm -hmm. for, uh, to seek validation, external validation. It's kind of like, I don't want to seek external validation. I need to like hold my own. But in a situation like this, especially when it comes to shadow work or your darkness, seeking the right external validation is going to be helpful because they're not going to coddle you and just say what you want and you want. Oh, you're so great. Like, why are you, blah, 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 blah. You know, somebody fucking just shooting you straight, telling you the fucking raw truth. Maybe that's what you need. And um, that's why a lot of my clients come to me because I just say it like it is. I'm not afraid of what the fuck you think about me. I just want you to learn something about yourself. Yeah. And we're going to talk a bit more about bold, uh, honest, caring, tough love, which is a good concept mm -hmm. and a bit like the middle between, you know, you know, having the best interest in mind sometimes is a bit tough love to help clients get honest conversations with themselves. Mm -hmm. I personally witnessed this. But also one of my clients witness this when they have a trauma or enmeshment or codependency that they suffer from so loneliness or solitude or depression. And some things, one of the best ways is to connect with someone who cares about them. But me and also my clients, they find it very hard to reach out. Even when they have yeah. a coach or they want to reach out, like, hey, this dude yeah. is there for you. Like, he don't want to hear the good news. He, he likes it when you call yeah. him to connect. And still for me and my clients, it's still hard to connect with someone. and. 
do something social or get feedback and help of someone else? What is the mm-hmm. pattern or why is it so difficult? It's a good question. I mean, I, I, a lot of my work, I help people that, that would label themselves as empaths and they have a, tr- and I have in my past too, had trouble asking for help. And I think it's because we don't want to be seen as not strong enough or not enough. We want to handle it on our own because I got this and I'm the tough one and X, Y, Z, whatever it is. And I've noticed that through the more that I heal my stuff and I'm still on the path of, I mean, everybody is the more I positive reinforcement in my own mind that I get once I do ask for help. And now I'm not even ashamed to be like, dude, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. You want to help me? Before I would have tried to figure it all out myself because I needed to have all the answers and putting just putting that pressure that pressure on my me. But I think part of that comes from schooling and the, the conditioning that school brings of you need to find the answers and you need to have the answers and you need to get an A on this test and nobody else is gonna help you. We can give study guides, but you gotta figure it out. You know, and so it doesn't really teach a cooperative system. It teaches one of, of developing people to be uh, very self-reliant. So there's school conditioning in there. But then there's also the ruptured boundaries with the traumas, right? Like if you don't, you then don't trust your judgment as much. And you would say you don't trust other people. But what you're really saying is you don't trust your judgment towards other people. But we don't like to say that because it's about us. <laughs> we like that, you know. So you then don't trust your judgment. So you don't know if you can trust somebody and to get their help, to get their advice. That could be at play. There could also be, you know, you ask somebody for help and you, again, had poor judgment and they didn't offer it or they ruptured a boundary in some sense. So you, have, you could have some trauma there. There could be a multitude of reasons. And I think those are the biggest ones. And until we find that safe space and a, a healthy relationship and a, a person or community that we can kind of go to to see different, then we can start repairing that, especially doing the body work. A lot of listening to your intuition and boundary setting and that type of a thing, when you're very somatically aware in your nervous system, you'll be able to do those things a lot easier. And then with that healthy sense of boundary, you'll then have a, I feel healthy, and this is just my experience, you'll have a healthy sense of understanding your own judgment on somebody else because you're reading yourself. You can't read it somebody else if you haven't read yourself you're gonna have a poor poor perspective on that so the more that you go inward the more that you can see outward and the more that you can ask for help because you then realize that everybody's trying to do it all on their own anyway and by me asking for help from somebody else i didn't give them the pleasure of helping me and so i get helped on the thing they get the reward of that um, and if I'm just trying to do it all myself, I'm robbing other people of that. So when I flipped the script in my head of that, I was like, oh, let me just start asking people because people love to help people. I really genuinely feel that. And so let me give more opportunities for the people around me that love me to help me because they want to. And I stopped making it all about me. And that was another thing. It was kind of like the ego crush. It's just it's not all about you. Yeah, a lot of the things are phantom ghosts or haunted the haunted house of the past, which is your way of thinking, because a lot of these things have to do with asserting yourself, with standing up for boundaries. And a lot of times in the past, when in school or against your mom or your dad, you spoke your unique expression, like, we don't like that. That's not interesting. Do this, you know? And there's like porous boundaries or uh, a lot of things have to do with like bad boundary setting on a personal Mm -hmm. level and also on a social level with other people. 
Right. And they often say like, you know what? They won't hear me. They won't listen to me. I don't matter. You know, they will cross my boundaries. That's usually the case. And often when you're like angry, it's a sign that your boundaries have been violated. Mm-hmm. Angry, and that's a very good, yeah. So yeah, that's what it's there for. Is it also kind of revisiting your relationship with emotions? Because I, I, I don't know who said it once, but you could see the emotions as kind of judges in a, in a room. And then they speak about how many time and how many focus you gave them, you know, all these emotions to be with them. And there are certain emotions like you, you ignore them completely or don't, you don't give them time anymore because there's this mistaken conception that a good life is determined by how many positive emotions that you have. What do you think of that? Never heard of that before, but yeah, I think that, that a lot of people would, would say that in the world because mm-hmm. they are asleep and under the belief that's not even theirs, that there's such a thing as good and bad emotions. And that, yeah, the only way to, they just want to feel good all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly why you're stuck in feeling bad all the time is <laughs> because you're just trying to feel good all the time and you're reaching for the short, you know, it's kind of like being, um, it's kind of like eating donuts all the time because you love life, YOLO, and you want to enjoy the most of it. And then you get diabetic <laughs> because you're just eating donuts all the time. It's kind of like counterintuitive. That's the funny bit on it. So you kind of yeah. agree with the feeling instead of uh, aiming at feeling better, you should focus on better feeling or, 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 or well, here's, be, here's being better I, in touch with your feelings. Yeah. I mean, here, here's how I view it. So a lot of people come to me after a breakup or once they realize they're codependent or they're struggling with an addiction or they're depressed or crazy anxiety, all these things. And when we're in those spaces, we can either get sucked into drama or we can get sucked into what we don't want and just looking at what we don't want and the problem in front of us. And we just stack the problem and there's a problem, there's a problem, there's a problem. So you're going to feel worse or you're stuck in drama, which is from a let's use dating as an example. Well, there's this guy and I don't know about how this is going to go. And then this, and there's always this like thing. You're not asking, what do I really want? You're just kind of looking at what's in front of you. Bro, that's super interesting what you say right now, because when you say that there's like a connection, there's a connection between trauma and drama. Trauma is on an individual Mm -hmm. level. That person is suffering trauma. But when there's drama, you can also, if you're empathic, right? If you can look behind the scenario, you see like, oh, this person experiences a trauma and is acting out the drama. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And being addicted to drama is a real thing because it gives you some sense of, uh, it gives you a rush biochemically. And that's what all, a lot of this stuff is being codependent is and, and like being addicted to toxic cycles or toxic relationships. It's a biochemical addiction. It's not something in your mind. Yeah, and this can give you attention, right? Which is one of the most precious resources nowadays or dopamine hit, you know? So sometimes we can act out these patterns because they know, oh yeah, at least then I get attention. At least then people will look at me and listen to me. Yeah. The drama thing is attention. Codependency is dopamine because you have an interesting relationship with danger. Let's leave it at that. You go into a dangerous situation, there's this huge surge of dopamine and other feel-good chemicals and you confuse it with being infatuated by the person and it's love and you're high on love, but really uh, it's your nervous system responding that it's dangerous and you know, it's dangerous. And then you get in the loop and then you're looking for the next hit. So you go to the next person and you're in a cycle until you break the biochemical addiction. I don't care how much mindset reading, journaling books that you do. uh, And even I'm going to say therapy, you need to heal the bio, the body. The body is what has the, the loops in the first place. So anyway, I'm kind of getting on a tangent, but what I was saying about 
you mentioned the, the drama and stuff. Knowing what you want is going to cut through all the drama and it's going to cut through all the confusion of, of everything. And when you strip it down, what do I really want for myself? But just ask yourself that question. And maybe you've never even, you know, growing up, you didn't grow up in a household where they even asked you what you wanted. Or maybe you've just been so codependent and like living your life from other people, you never even thought about yourself. But what do I really want for myself right now? What do I really truly want for myself? How do I want to feel that I'm not feeling? And then once we kind of get an idea for that, we move towards it in a healthy way. So if I, I, I want to feel happy, cool. So you don't go and do all the things that are going to fuck up your life that, you, that are just going to make you happy in the short term. We want to live that way more of the time. Well, all that I've been doing this for a few years now. And one thing that I've observed, it's people want love. They want confidence. They want happiness. They want peace. And all of those things are sensations and emotions that are felt in the present moment. They're saying they want to be present, which if you're looking at it from a nervous system perspective, their nervous system is dysregulated. They're feeling stressed. They're feeling anxious. They're feeling constricted. They're feeling not in control. Their nervous system is going on a trauma response. They want to be regulated and drop into presence. And so that's Again, just stripping away the mind chatter. You don't, you don't need to have all the meta psychology and the thoughts thinking about themselves. And like more psychology work is not the answer. And um, studying the mystics that I've studied, like Alan Watts and, and Anthony DeMello and a few others, they were psychologists and they stopped because they saw that it was not the solution. And we're on this rise of a bunch of psychology work. And it, I mean, I, you know, I, I fucking did a bunch of Tony Robbins stuff. I worked with the guy for a little bit, crewing his events. I dove deep into psychology and it helped me until it didn't. And I think that it's halted as the answer to everything. And, and that's just marketing. I feel they know how to market. They know how to sell. And because it's psychology and it can be very, there's a, there's a fine line of psychology. I want to help you and manipulation. I see shame used so fucking much in the personal development industry. It pisses me off to sell to people. Or, oh, let me, let me hit on your insecurities. You're insecure about this thing? Buy my course. Do this thing. Most of my shit that I do is free. Most of it. I have two courses. One of them is, yeah, like a higher-end course, like a few grand. And then the other one is less than $50 because I want to make it accessible. But most of the shit that I do is free. My breakup recovery course, 100% free. Dark 72, the three-day huge experience to break the biochemical addictions happening in your body. Guess what? It's free. And everybody else in the coaching industry is like, why the fuck are you doing this? I'm like, cause I'm not going to prey on somebody's insecurities to manipulate them to pay me. And then, yeah, you need to charge what you're worth and all that bullshit. If I wanted to charge what I'd worth, everything that I'd had on the internet would be a million dollars. Okay. Let's drop the, just raising your price mm -hmm. so you can get off and fucking I'm on a tangent right now. No, I love tangent. That is why it's called Rants <laughs> About Humanity. Could you give an example of a kind of coach or some kind of marketing tactic that you often see and think like, this is unethical or this is like playing with trauma and triggers of people? Using certain questions and tactics, strategies to get people to say yes to your offer. If there's coaches listening, I just want to say sometime, like get off your fucking high horse because sometimes serving them is not your course. Sometimes the best way to serve a client is for them not to buy your thing. Maybe them paying that much money puts them in a traumatic financial situation. And sure, they're in your course and they're gonna, you're going to change their life, but you just made it worse because now you laterally shifted 
their issue to something that's a little bit more tangible and real like money. So my coach did an amazing job of that with me. And, and he was, it's what's called challenging the yes. Like, are you sure you're in a good space for this? Like you, that you have the money. Cause I don't want you to put you in a finance, like a bad financial spot. It's, it's more trauma informed. We we're trying as coaches, no matter what industry you're in or what you're doing, you're trying to bring people into the present moment, which what is that doing? You're regulating their nervous system. You are all in our own way. Looks, looking to elevate consciousness and drop more into the present moment. That's what everybody's doing. And I understand your hearts in it, but if you're, if you're money hungry and just after a sale, you're forgetting why you're doing it. Yeah. Look at the, look at the person that you're talking to. If it's a sales call or the scripts that you're writing. And I understand like good copywriting and good lingo and language and stuff, but understand that sometimes like your thing isn't the thing. And I just see it so much that shame is used because we're, we've been taught in the coaching industry to poke at their pain point and to, uh, you know, where would you be in five years if you didn't do this? And like all that stuff, that can be extremely traumatizing for people. And it can bring, bring up trauma. And then you're not trauma informed. You don't know how to fuck to deal with it. And so now you just traumatize them. And then, oh, hey, the answer is buy my course. That's fucking manipulation. Yeah, for me, sales is helping people make better decisions for themselves. And sometimes that's not the best decision or what you're offering right now. Sometimes. Is where they're and, at. and again, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like sometimes, sometimes your course is the thing and you need to give them some tough love and, and yes, but I feel like the coaching industry is just so far off the needle of actually helping people now. It disgusts me. Is it also not a question of where people are in terms of like awareness and their journey? Because there's almost nothing, at least talking to me, some people had that like sitting on a bench like Eckhart Tolle and he became enlightened. Often it's a process, you know, an awareness and working on things in the long run. It also depends a bit on how aware people are and where they are on their journey. You could give yeah. someone the most highest and highest ticket thing, which is somebody who begins but they would only get so far because the journey to the underground, the hero's journey has just begun. So you also want to make sure where is this person in terms of their journey and what helps them the most to get momentum going and create reflection and then help them when they can really get the most out of the service that you offer as a coach, consultant or mentor or whatever. Totally. And, and it's, you know, it's spend more time mastering your craft and understanding what you do than you do in your marketing. And I this is also why I sometimes use like tough love, but it seems sometimes that realistic coaches, I'm like, this is realistic. This is what you're going to achieve. I'm see the future better than you are, but this is it. And sometimes it's a bit of a pity that, I mean, with the clients I work with, I have great results, but I have less impact than a Ty Lopez or everybody was good at marketing because I'm not hitting all those levers to sell the dream. And then sometimes it ends up in a nightmare, but I can actually live up to my promises. I can yeah. back up what I teach. Well, those and people are in the long run. Yeah, that's what I like for yeah. my self-esteem and self-image. But it's a bit of a pity that often people fall into this quick fix shortcut, you know, one secret to change your X. And when you've been in the entrepreneurial personal development space, you know that it's almost never just one secret, one simple trick to change your blah, blah, blah completely within X days, you know. Bunch of marketing. And again, like that's where I feel like most coaches are just really good at marketing. And I've heard so many horror stories of people that just the, the coaches didn't deliver to the capacity that they, you know. Are Do you think there are a lot of compensation of people choosing to become an entrepreneur, mentor, or a coach as a compensation for unhealed trauma? That's why I got into it. And, you know, so yeah, 100%. I was looking to heal my own shit. And then I was helping some people along the way because I was a few steps ahead of them. 
So I'm not going to knock it by saying people shouldn't, but just be aware of if it's happening. I was aware of that it was happening. And uh, that's to some because extent. You can fall into the track, I feel, that it can become, again, like a kind of status symbol and ego gratification of, you know, like another thing as you it's, put on it, especially as a superficial mask, you know, of success as a compensation for core work. Or just helping other people and not helping yourself because you're so busy helping other people that you think if I solve the world's problems, it'll solve my problems. And that ain't fucking answer. You got to solve your stuff first and start there at least. And then you can start to pivot. Well, even just keep on focusing on the fundamentals because coaches and consultants who listen to this will relate. Sometimes you're so busy with the clients if you want to serve them that you forget to practice the principles. And one of the ways how you influence your clients is by inspiration, by, you know, like your your, your energy or who you are. So sometimes you neglect and you're screaming to the client like what they should do as a compensation for the fact that you neglect it, you know, like in a way we're passionate about what we do because we want to keep on reinforcing it for us because it's been so important in our journey. You know, as somebody who I'm not like a business coach, so a lot of my stuff is on fulfillment and shadow work and the more the spiritual stuff, but I also touch on science, right? And I'd like to offer a bit of the advice that I, I do with my clients. And that's on any coaching call that I have, whether it's a group coaching call or an Instagram live that I do or answering somebody's question on Instagram or a one on one client, even I notice, and after every single time I'll open after a, um, a session, I'll open up the notes on my phone and I'll write down what I just said because everything in life <laughs> is a fucking mirror. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I take my fucking pills and I go, all right, do I, did I need to hear that too? Mm-hmm. And I'll check myself and I'll go, you know what? I think I'm doing pretty good on that. Like, okay, cool. Go Kev. Heck yeah. Or I'm like, oh fuck, I needed to hear that one too. And then I pivot and I adjust. So sometimes I'll give a, a client homework and I'll be like, okay, cool. Do this every single day, blah, 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 blah. And then I'm like, fuck, when was the last time you did that? All right, here we go. Let's do it. Exactly. <laughs> I've had so much more personal <laughs> growth doing that and swallowing those tough pills. It's, it's been fun. And in a way, I'm coaching myself you know, through, through my clients. And that's how we all help each other heal. Yeah, you talked about how uh, psychology sometimes become like, yeah, try to get rid of the mind through the mind and that the bodily mm-hmm. sensation being present is important. Do you also see some spitfalls within the spiritual community of tackling oh certain God, things that have yes. to do with trauma <laughs> and healing? Fuck yes, I do. Yeah, the spiritual community spiritualizes their trauma. And uh, for a, a lot of times, through observation and my own experience, are so disconnected from the present moment that they're living in a fantasy and they're living with ideas and made up stuff. And you, they think it's real. They can have a visceral experience of it being real. And maybe it is real because science hasn't proven it real yet. And they're forgetting to be here. For all the spiritual people listening to this that probably just got triggered, I just want to reassure you that your five-dimensional self wanted to be human. So please stop going to the fifth dimension you're here. We need to change this motherfucker and turn it around. We need you here right now. That stuff's going to happen whether you're tapped into it or not. But they will say, I'm meditating an hour each day, Kevin. So I'm being present. Amazing. I meditate too. Awesome. So what are you doing outside of the yoga mat? What are you doing all out of your meditations? Are you embodying it? Or you constantly have to go on what I call a peace retreat. You constantly have to sage yourself and you constantly have to do your essential oils constantly have to go to yoga class or a meditation or doing something to get a sense of peace because you're always fucking triggered well guess what that's called trauma are you 
working on healing that stuff and regulating your nervous system so that you can be more resilient and you can go out in the world. And if you are triggered, you're able to alchemize it to be back into and respond to life instead of react. Or do you have to constantly be in your bubble? And this is, again, what the spiritual community is, and I've lived it myself. So no shame in this. I just really want to shine light on this, that if if all of your friends look like you, talk like you, dress like you, you're in a fucking bubble. And if you're in the spiritual community, you know that we have a huge mission on this planet. You're very woke. You're very wise. Mm -hmm. The world needs your medicine. You're tapped into source, and the rest of the world isn't. How we change the world is not by talking to and selling to and just working with other people that are in the spiritual community. That's an easy cash grab and it's fun. The real work is in looking like the rest of the world and acting like the rest of the world and being in the world, not of the world and shifting it. That's what I like about I'm putting down. Somebody walking down the street wouldn't see me and go, oh, that dude's super spiritual. But guess what? I am. I'm tapped in. But I don't look it. I don't know. I'm not wearing white all the fucking time. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel that they make know. sometimes that they, they see being present as being detached and they see us being detached and meditating and, you know, putting themselves like, you know, if they have pain, it's like, I'm going to meditate on it. And they just look at it and detach themselves from the pain. It right? can, or it can go the opposite. It can work. Like, it, like I'm saying it can work. But sometimes I feel like also a bit of shadow work and psychology and trauma work in the spiritual community could be very beneficial besides like just meditating. I feel like some of them are doing it. Some of them are doing Mm -hmm. the work. I've I've seen some of them do the shadow work and the trauma healing. And there's a spectrum here. There's the people who are a new age spirituality that are are bypassing. And that's kind of what you're referring to. I've seen that. There's people that are kind of in the middle that I would say are doing the work. They're actually doing their shadow work and they're integrating it and all of those things. And then there's other people on the other end of the spectrum that are positioning and virtue signaling. Look mm-hmm. at me. I'm doing all the trauma work. I'm doing all the shadow work. I'm doing it and I'm expressing it. And there's I'm so- going to my 500 ayahuasca <laughs> thing. So don't <laughs> yes, tell exactly. me what to do. Yeah. Exactly. They're doing it to an extreme and it's masking their trauma. They're like, look, I'm doing all the work and I'm doing all the things. And guess what? It's an addiction because they get this adrenaline rush. They get the dopamine hit. They get the high. And so they become addicted to it, thinking that they're doing the work. When again, it's a lateral shift, just like we talked about in the beginning. Instead of getting triggered and stuff from your parents, you're now you're not talking to them anymore and you're just hanging out with your spiritual community and you're getting high on an ayah and you're doing all the breath work and crazy stuff, just re-triggering and re-traumatizing your nervous system and burning it out to the point of disassociation, then you go psychotic and you lose your mind. Hey, guess what? This is what I did, by the way. So I'm not knocking you. Yeah, could you talk a bit more about that, about burning your nervous system out and what happened there? A lot of uh, people in the spiritual community are trauma-informed. They're not aware of the science of the nervous system and they're really tapped into source. They're really wise in the grand scheme of things. And I've heard so many horror stories and I've lived a horror story of psychedelics and using psychedelics as a way to escape or that it's going to cure you. Psychedelics open your eyes, you still do the work and there's a lack of integration. It's kind of like, oh, you do ceremony, cool, you do you did that. Now, okay, goodbye and you can you're off and you're away. There's no integration period with which is a huge part of healing trauma. I've seen so many people just mixing drugs and mixing medicine excuse my language, but they're mixing shit and they're not just, it's a bypassing tactic and they're doing it because it's cool. They're doing it because they found a place to be accepted. And look, this was me in the gym. Okay. 
when I got to the gym, I found a place that accepted me. And I went hard in the gym and was 175 pounds, 5'4", fucking tank, shredded. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, but I was hurting myself. But I was there because I was accepted until I realized that there's other people can, that can accept me too. And so I would just advise you, if this is your path, there's other people that can accept you too. And they're not doing Aya every weekend. And you don't need to do that to be accepted. So if you're trying to heal your stuff, maybe healing is getting out. How do you maybe know you're connecting? Is saying, maybe healing is saying no. Maybe healing is setting up a boundary and reinstating that broken boundary and maybe choosing you instead of a community. You've got to want you. You've got to want love, connection to yourself and source more than who or what you think is going to bring it. And it doesn't happen just through fucking plants. Okay. How do you connect with the right community? How do you? Mm, I don't think there's a lot of them out there. Now, that's just me shooting you straight. That's a big one. The bigger the community is, the more uh, opportunity that's there to kind of have it tainted. You know what I mean? So we're kind of talking about the personal development community and the spiritual community. And again, I'm part of both. I dove in all the way into both. Because I'll be honest, like this is my rants about humanity thing. And let's talk Mm -hmm. about some topics. Man, I've seen some things. I've also been dabbling a bit with spiritual community, time massage and et cetera. (laughs) There are some dark aspects in the spiritual community when it comes to trust and violating boundaries of these creatures and all these beautifully looking flexible women look up to them you know and they you know heal from trauma and then all those things that are going on there in the supposedly love and peace kind of atmosphere you need a very strong teacher who is aware of themselves and doesn't play with people and make sure to set boundaries themselves and there's a lot of violation of boundaries happening there under the guise of oh we're all one family i've heard stories and I'm, I'm a guy, so I haven't experienced, but I've heard story. I, most of my clients are women. My entire team is women. I've heard stories. Uh, it pisses me off, honestly. So that's what I'm looking at. That's what I'm looking to do is to fucking create a safe space in a, in a community for healing. And I feel like I just do, I'm just, it's going to happen by me just being me, you know? Because like it's a vulnerable app. process to help people heal. They're putting partly not the heart in your hands, but, you know, it's mutual heart-to-heart energy. And when people give yourself to that and open up their, their wounds, like they're very vulnerable. vulnerable to, yeah, to be influenced easily. and manipulated. So that's a very mm-hmm. intimate process that you need to be aware of. Yeah. And, I mean, this is, we could go off on that conversation. But, uh, it's something that's really near. That's why, why I'm doing the fucking work that I'm doing. I, again, like I mentioned, my, most of my clients are women, and, and I've just heard so much fucking stories. And to witness how me just being a real fucking person and not trying to abuse them or use them has helped them heal, and I'm able to see them blossom into their real selves. Mm-hmm. And, get, and then on, what's on the other side of that, of setting effective boundaries and see, having more eyes to see that shit and all this other stuff, it's profound. And I think that's the real work. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. You're an attractive guy. I'm going to ask you an honest question. How would you make Honestly. sure that that conversation doesn't become sexual or there's no like underlying sexual tension? I shut it down. I, so I was uh, mm-hmm. single and celibate for four years. Just recently, I uh, was in a relationship. And then, then that ended four months that we were together. But yeah, I've, I've been single and celibate. So in my journey of that... Even when I was out partying, having fun, I'd shut it down because I knew that if I even inter- started to entertain or flirt or, oh, I'm just like having a good time, mm-hmm. that can lead just unconsciously, you're gonna, your, your body is going to follow that urge. So 
I just am really good with boundaries. I know and understand the container that I'm in with my clients. I don't bring it up. I don't cross it. I don't say like fucking, you know, I'm not flirting with them. That's not the space. Even if then there's so many beautiful women that have come through my space, that's not the space or time or person. They're here to, to get healing. And I don't know, man, I, maybe I'm disconnected from my sexual energy. Maybe I have a control over my sexual urges and I've kind of mastered that. I don't know. And that, that's being honest, but that has never happened in my space. And when it does, cause I've seen, I've seen girls kind of like start mm-hmm. flirting with me and I'm just like, <laughs> I know what this is. Okay. Goodbye. You're not in my course. Literally I shut it. I shut the fuck down. Because that's not the energy that I'm looking for in my space. And I think just me holding mm. myself in that way, it doesn't happen a lot anymore at all. Yeah, I've been also pondering this to do this with myself to say like, I'm not in a space right now to become entangled in a relationship and with the sexuality. I'm healing the relationship with myself. Not necessarily that everybody has to do that, but there's like power in setting that boundary and really creating that relationship with yourself first. Because that intimate relationship, that sexual relationship, it sometimes makes it how harder. I mean, some people say like, yeah, you heal the best with an intimate partner. Yeah, but the right one. But when you're still in the healing phase and acting out shadows, it can be very yeah. difficult again to heal that. I mean, according mm-hmm. to me, right? I don't know what you're... Yeah, it can be. And you know, you can heal with the right person. And there's exceptions to all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And when I start talking about relationship dynamics, there's exceptions to everything. There's no finite. And everybody loves to be the exception though. <laughs> That's for sure, but there's no like concreteness to it. There's so many stories of proving the opposite, right? So when we're talking about relationship dynamics, it's more so at that point, it's more of like, what do you want right right now for yourself? And what is the envisioned relationship? And then how can you get better at understanding yourself? And in doing so, you'll be able to understand them better and appreciate them better and make the shifts and effective communication. And it all comes out of that wellspring of you knowing yourself better, which is why self-awareness and self-love and all those things are so fucking important. You talked about tough love or blunt tough love. Some light workers would say, focus on the positive and always see the best in the person and be encouraging and be in supporter. Where does tough love fit in? I love that you're seeing the good in people because I think that there's a lot of people in the world that are just seeing the bad in people and that are kind of Debbie Downers and they're just pissed and blah, blah. they're pointing out all the negatives. So you're pointing out the positives and you think that you're, you're good doing that. You are good doing that. We need more people that care and that see the good, but you're going to fuck yourself over. My friend mentioned this to me. He was like, yeah, when you have your rose colored glasses on, you got to make sure you have your shit goggles with you as well. So you can look at, the negatives. I say this in my breakup recovery course, because a lot of times when somebody can't let go of a partner or an ex, they're just replaying all the good times. And they're just looking at all the good in that person. And especially in like domestic violence situations, the person's attached to somebody that's abusing them. They're so skewed of their relate to the, the view of that person. They're so for- easy to forgive because they're seeing just the good. And in my breakup recovery course, we don't do this to like shit on the person. We do this so that you can set yourself free. So you can snap into reality and go, Oh wow, this person was amazing in a lot of ways. And they were not fucking compatible. And you're able to start letting go once you see that. So it is very important to see both because here's the thing. Lust sees what it wants. Love sees and accepts all. So if you're just seeing the good in somebody and not seeing all the bad, that's lust, honey. That ain't love. Love sees everything 
and then chooses to love. You can't tell somebody how to love you. You've got to go where you like to receive their love. And I think, I mean, it's a different, more of a different conversation, but what I'm saying in all that is prioritize yourself and the more self-awareness that you have and you see your own shit, but you don't think that you're a bad person because of it and you're on the path and then that becomes the game, not the destination, you're able to see more in other people. So if you're just seeing the good in others, you might just be seeing the bad in yourself and that's the harmony and polarity. You just got to balance out somehow. So you're just shaming yourself all the time and you're thinking that everybody else is a fucking saint. There's a, some odd sense of harmony in that, right? And so when you're starting to see how you're awesome and how other people might not be on a pedestal, then the balance starts to shift and you're able to see it more. So, and, and then you're able to see like people are just people and you're not going to glorify that good looking person across the room. They're just good looking and maybe they got good energy and it's amazing. I sometimes have a quote that says, be soft on yourself, be hard on your principles. When you would define like tough love, how would somebody accept that and not feel attacked? Or how can you use tough love to reach you know, yourself? It's tough. I, yeah. I think it's just energy and intention. Because if you look at what I say to some of my clients, you're like, dude, what? But they know they're safe with me. They know my intentions. We've got rapport already. So when I say something like what I say to them, they know it's from love. And I don't, I haven't really dove into that. It's not, I don't think that's something that I could teach. Maybe it is. I don't know. But I come at it from a, such a loving and caring space. And then when I have those tough love moments, I don't live there. I don't live tough love. I'm not like a fucking drill sergeant all the time. Yeah, it's often for me, it's like the inner critic, which has been, you know, inherited from my parents. And then the tough love, if you're very like hard on somebody else, it's often, you know, the way how you talk to yourself being projected. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I do. And then it's that caring curiosity frame, like, man, I know you could do better, you know, and we see this pattern, etc. And I call things out for them to have honest conversations with themselves. And I call out the truth, but it's not meant to hurt them. It's meant to confront them with something that's important. And sometimes you need to do that for people to dance with that tension. And then tension is important sometimes because that shows you that something, you know, there's an energetic load behind it. So in service for the client, if you do it with a good intention, you need to put some pressure or tension with the client sometimes for them to wrestle with that. It can be. I mean, it's important to be trauma-informed so you're not just putting tension on them because you think that the pressure is what's going to make them move because sometimes it's not um, and sometimes it's not what they need and that's letting go of our own desires for our clients mm. and what we think is best for them because maybe it's not uh, and that's where uh, that's another conversation that needs to be had this is super interesting when do you know like i can push a bit more and i can work with this tension energy and when do you feel like mm, i'm gonna being in conversation letting your clients know that they have a choice mm-hmm. that they can say no to what you're saying instead of you being a director and like a power God and just telling them what all to do, giving them an option. Hey, you don't have to do this. If you don't feel comfortable, we could say this for later if you want, or we could just not do it entirely. You hired me. I'm here to help, but I feel this would be very beneficial, but if it's not accessible to you right now, then we won't do it. How does that make somebody feel like, Oh my God, I have a choice empowered, which is probably what you're looking to do for them anyway. Right? So Bill creating a sense of choice. You know, and in my early days with my live events, you know, I would have people go through these crazy intense processes and there was never really an option to back out or to say no to it. Now in my, in all of the things that I do, 
I mentioned how you can, there's so many ways you can modify this. There's so many ways that you can just do this at a lesser intensity, but this is an opportunity for you to step into a new experience. You don't have to do it today because maybe you saying no to an experience is that reset of a boundary. That's actually Mm -hmm. the thing that's going (laughs) to make the change, not the process that Kevin Crenshaw thinks is best for them. Right. Yeah. So, so then I feel attacked. Like, what they say this, but then I think like, oh, but Keck, they are serving their boundaries, so they're doing actually what I want them to do. So good on you. You know, good mm-hmm. that you noticed some patterns or did some reflection. Like, yeah, that's actually what I want. You know, not put the power in my hands, but they, they take it over. Yeah. That's actually yeah. what you do, right? Yeah. And then what you you, you were mentioning something earlier about shame, or uh, you were saying uh, inner critic and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's shame, dude. That's using shame as a fuel to get better, which is why I'm saying it's running rampant in society, really, but also especially with the personal development industry. What's let me beat myself up into a better life. I did that for 10 years in the fitness industry and it almost killed me, quite literally. We think that, oh, like, oh, come on, Kevin, like just fucking do sh- fucking mm-hmm. do it. The energy of that is you're attacking yourself. But we want self-love. You can't beat yourself up into a loving, peaceful place. You can't beat yourself up into love. You can't beat yourself up into confidence. And maybe you can act it out. You can beat yourself up into a a little bit of a shift. And maybe for a time, you can fool yourself and other people. But it ain't going to be real. There's not a foundation there. So if you want to build a foundation, you cannot use shame as the foundation because it's it's air. It's an energy. The foundation, real confidence, for those of you that are looking for confidence, is done through time you're confident because you get a track record and i think the the sales and i studied even pickup artistry for a little bit Mm -hmm. because i was like a dating coach Mm -hmm. back in the day Mm -hmm. pickup artists and sales do the same thing of manipulation of of mimicking what confidence looks like so that you can do the actions of confidence but you as a soul are not embodying it and so I think the world's waking up and seeing that, no, nah, you're a little shit. <laughs> Some people are, are waking up and they're able to see through that and they have a good eyes for it. I was doing that shit for the longest time. Fake it till you make it type stuff, dude. Like I'm saying all the stuff that I'm saying, stand with their, where they're at because I was there and I did those things and I wouldn't do it again because now I'm, I'm at the end of the day, there's just me and how I feel about myself and my relation to the world around me coaching and business and fitness and relationships and all these things that are on the external world, the things that you have, the money in your bank account, your investments, it's all a fucking game. If you're to wake up every morning and go, holy shit, I'm alive. (laughs) Wait, I'm alive. What do I want to do? How do I want to play? And you give yourself that freedom Everything else becomes a game and it's not a do or die situation. You're able to let go a lot easier. So instead of, oh my God, why did this thing happen? Or, oh my God, I want to do things this way. Or why did they not text me back? Or I need to make this million dollar mark by this goal that I'm setting on myself. You're able to go, well, I don't really want to, that doesn't appeal to me anymore. What appeals to me is just being peaceful, being here, being present, connecting, doing things in a meaningful way. And when that shifted for me, my whole life changed. I stopped going from this frantic, stressed out, high functioning anxiety guy that looked like he had a bunch of drive and motivation, but it was really pressure to you could say more grounded, 
peaceful. Um, but I'm aware of everything. Sometimes those things happen. It's a part of life. Yeah, we, we're all we're all a work in progress, right? Just mm -hmm. as when you are in coaching, sometimes I see that I have a judgment of a client and then I look at that judgment and I realize it's an inner judgment that I internalized and I projected on my client like, oh yeah, I'm projecting it here, right? If people want to know more about all the great work that you're doing with healing trauma, working with the heart, where can they check out more about what you do and uh, your programs? Heartguy.com. As you can see, everything there. I'm the heart guy on Instagram. Last question. You also do some nonprofit work. Would you say that in the beginning, it's best to focus on your own healing with a tribe of people? Or is there also in a karma yogic sense, also some value in doing selfless service and doing some... Uh, things to just I, I, generally help I, people besides you. I dipped my toe into creating a company last year for nonprofit work and it's somewhat operating now. We're kind of going through a shift. What I noticed was there was a lot of people that weren't healed from their own stuff looking to be of service so they could avoid their stuff and try to help other people. And then just ramp it in the in that space. And I think it's important to do your work as well entirely. And what are some practical strategies or things or tools that really helped you into being present, being in touch with your emotions and connecting with the heart besides, of course, checking out your stuff? Asking yourself the tough questions and sitting with the uncomfort and not being so in your mind. Drop into your senses. When you're eating, turn off all the noise and be with your meal. Smell it, taste it. Close your eyes, drop into these sensations. The more that you're connected to your senses, the more that you're going to stimulate your nerves and your nervous system is going to start to regulate and you're able to start that path. So the more time that you can spend in regulation, the better. And then I would say, seek out the right community, the right relationship, whether that's somebody that you trust and you have a good judgment on and you respect, or you do find a safe space in the community so that you can get the tools and you don't have to do it all on your own. There's a good place to start, but you don't want to keep going on peace retreats just to feel peace and just to be present. You want to start embodying it and living there, and the body is the portal, and the community and the support is how you're going to be able to do it. It's how I've been able to do it. Thanks for bringing some sense in our senses. Check out <laughs> The Hard Guy, Kevin Crenshaw. Thanks so much for being a guest on the podcast, man. Thank you. If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and support our mission of freedom of speech. With increasing restrictions on fundamental freedoms, we believe that now, more than ever, is the time for you to be an online coach or consultant and become independent from the system. That's why we created the Client Closer Academy. Learn how to consistently enroll clients and join a community of fellow free thinkers who value personal responsibility, speaking their truth, and making an impact. Find out more at clientcloser.com slash academy. Rant over.